Our Father, we do pray that as we hear from you today, that you would cause us to depend upon you more fully, that we might be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in your service, so that you may be most glorified in our lives. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, Jesus prayed for you in John chapter 17. He said, I pray for those who will believe in me that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Jesus was praying for you when he prayed that. He was praying for our church when he prayed in John chapter 17. I have given them that the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they might be brought to complete unity. Unity in Jesus' church is important to him. Uh, It's one of the big issues you see dealt with in the book of 1 Corinthians. And in the second half of chapter 12, as we've just read, as Paul uh, talks about all Christians being spiritual, equipped by God's spirit for his service in his church, he then continues with that extended metaphor of the body. And he uses that metaphor of the body to describe what Christian unity in Jesus' church should look like. And he leads, it leads him to the conclusion that every member of the church, every member of the body of Christ, is indispensable. Every Christian sitting in this room is indispensable to our life as a church. Every Christian sitting in this room is dependent on everyone else here today. Sometimes it's easy, I think, to feel useless and irrelevant in the life of the church. Sometimes it can be easy to feel superior and self-sufficient in the life of the church. And wherever you fit on that spectrum, God has a word for you today that you are indispensable to us and you are dependent upon us, just as we are dependent upon you. And we'll see that coming out as we look at the unity, the diversity and the interdependence of the church as the body of Christ. They're the three things that we want to see, unity, diversity and the interdependence of the church as the body of Christ. So firstly, let's think about unity but not uniformity. So Paul starts with the fact, the fact of Christian unity. Unity that is in Christ by the Holy Spirit. Have a look at chapter 12, verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And how did we all end up being part of the one body? Verse 13. For we were all baptised by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, And we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. The body, I think, is a very helpful metaphor, isn't it? Because we all know exactly what Paul is talking about. Uh, Sometimes there's a lot of distance between the first century world and our world, but not so with this metaphor. Because Paul's body is the same as our bodies. So as we read that metaphor, we can physically see that, yeah, a body is one. 
A body is a unit, while at the same time having distinguishable parts. And that's what the church is meant to be like. And where does church unity come from? In the body of Christ? Well, it's not that we're united because of common interests. It's not that we're united because we're all best friends or because we're all at the same stage of life. We're not meeting at West Leagues Club because of our united love for the Tigers. We're not meeting at the Enmore Theatre united by our love for a band or a particular kind of music. What makes the church is that we are united in Christ. That's what binds us together. It's a unity in Christ that God creates by his Spirit. So as the Holy Spirit shows you Jesus, as the Spirit points you to the significance of Jesus' death and resurrection, as the Spirit convinces you that Jesus is in fact Saviour and Lord, as you believe in Jesus, you by default join his church. When you believe in Jesus, you are grafted in, you are connected to the body of Christ. And the nature of that unity being in Christ by the Spirit means that when God gathers his church, he gathers a crazy mix of people. It's a mix of people seen nowhere else in our society. Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. Paul says, old or young, fat or skinny, male or female, it doesn't matter what job you do, how much money you have, what country you're from, what music you like, no matter where in the world you go, it's always the same. What unites people in God's church is being in Christ by the Spirit. That trumps everything. Which is a word of warning for us, isn't it? As we think about our church life together, we don't want to so structure things that we end up segmenting the body. Right? You don't want to tear limb from limb. We don't want the youth over here, the young adults there, the retirees in this corner, families in the middle, singles, marrieds. As our unity starts to become in our sameness, and what we have in common, we then fail to reflect the profound unity that God has created in Christ by the Spirit. We don't unite at church around what is preferable and around what is comfortable. We unite around Christ and all of the weirdness and wonderfulness that that brings. We want to unite around what truly unites us eternally, that is being in Christ through the, through the Spirit. Because the very nature of Christian unity in the body means that we're not all the same. We're not meant to be all the same. The very idea of the body is that there is a difference in the parts. The unity in the church is that we've all been given the spirit and we've all trusted in Jesus. That is our unity. And within that unity there is a diversity, a beautiful, 
God-given, spirit-created diversity. So unity doesn't mean uniformity, but within that diversity there is still no division. Have a look at verse 14. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. There's an important lesson for us here, I think. That is, you do not get to opt out of the body of Christ. Just because you think you don't fit, you feel you don't fit, just because you think that you don't have the gifts that someone else has, it doesn't make you any less part of the body of Christ. It's not something that you can opt out on and say, I don't belong, because if it's in the same way, if the hand was to say, I am, uh, sorry, if the foot was to say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If you, for whatever reason, say, I don't belong, I don't have the gifts, I'm not significant enough, you don't, for that reason, stop being part of the body of Christ. And it's up to the rest of us to help you see that you are indispensable to us. That we can't be the body of Christ without you. If you are in Christ by the Spirit, that is, if you are a Christian, then you are part of the body and we need you. You have a place, you have a role, you have a responsibility within the body of the church. The body is not made of one part but of many and we need all of the parts in order to be a body. And on the flip side, you also don't get to be the whole body on your own. No matter how important any one person may think they are, they cannot form the body of Christ on their own. To think that way, Paul says, you would be a mutant. You would be a monster. It's a great image, isn't it? He says, if the body was to simply be a massive ear, or a massive eye, what do you have? You have a monster, not a body. If the whole body were for preaching, we might say, where would the music be? If the whole body were for music, where would the administrators be? If the whole body were administrators, where would the carers be? If they were all one part, where would the body be? Uh, when I became the rector of this church, they asked me, how many car spots should we reserve for you at your induction? 
I said, just one. I only need one car spot for George and Barbara. Uh, Barbara was a lady from our old church who in her younger days was an extremely active member of the church. She was involved in everything. She was always doing something until she went completely blind. Now what does she do? She can't really do anything. She can't help with morning tea but has to wait for someone to bring her a cup of tea. She can't help with music or singing but she actually stands sideways in church so her husband George can sing in her ear so that she can feel part of things. She can't read the Bible up front or anything like that. Is she useless because she doesn't have these roles? No, she is an indispensable member of the body. Because not only does she give other people an opportunity to serve her, which is good for the body, which is good for their godliness, which helps to build the body up in love, but she herself is ceaseless in prayer. She is constantly encouraging other people. Barbara's the kind of person that in her blindness would sit at the end of church up the back and there would be a line of people waiting to speak and pray with her. To the point that she came here to my induction as rector more than a decade after we had left that church. Why? Because she continues to pray for us. An indispensable member of the body. Not because of all the jobs that she can do, but because of who she is. Because she walks into church each week thinking about who can I pray for, who can I encourage. She knows that she she comes to church not for herself but for the sake of others. Imagine the transformation that would happen if each and every week all of us were working through the door thinking how might I encourage someone today? But God has combined the members of the body, verse 24, and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it. Paul says God gives honour to the people whose gifts and abilities we pay little attention to or we look down upon. When we look down on people, God elevates them. The people whose contribution and worth we ignore, God highlights and works through. Why? Verse 25. So there should be no division in the body. But what? What's the opposite of division in the body? But the parts that but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Our diversity in the body doesn't mean that there is division and conflict. Diversity in the body means that we have concern for each other, that we have mutual love and care equally for one another. Isn't that countercultural? 
Isn't that the opposite of what we see in our politics and in our world and in our broader community? That where there is diversity so often, it leads to division and conflict. It leads to separation. But God says not so within the church. Within the one body, there is a diversity of gifts, a diversity of personalities, a diversity of people, so that we should have equal concern for one another. And that equal concern for one another is meant to show us that we are not independent of each other, but we are interdependent. That we all need all the parts of the body. Have a look at verse 20. But as it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour. The diversity comes from God. God has placed each one as he has desired and God does not mess things up. To say that you are insignificant to say that you are not needed or worse, to say that you don't need other members of the body is to reject the way that God has united us together. It is to reject the different ways God has made each and every one of us. You can't say of anyone in the body of the church, I don't need you. Even the people you don't get on with very well, the personalities that rub you the wrong way, the person you find hard to talk to, the person you disagree with on lots of issues, you need them. To deny this doesn't simply hinder the proper functioning of the church, it denies the will of God. It doesn't doesn't mean that we forget about our differences, It doesn't mean we have to agree on everything, but it means caring for one another. I may not agree with you on this point, but I love you. I may find your personality rubs me the wrong way, but I am committed to your good. I might think you're wrong, but I want to help you in any way I can. God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it so there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Plato wrote in his Republic, when a finger hurts, it is a pain felt by the self. When one part of the body hurts, we hurt with it. When one part mourns, we all mourn. When one part rejoices, we all rejoice. 
which means there's no attitude within the church of spiritual one-upmanship. There's no attitude in the, in the church of self-promotion, but of mutual care and concern. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. Paul says this even more strongly in Romans chapter 12 where he says, so we in Christ though many form one body and he says it more strongly, he says that each member belongs to all the others. That you are not your own, you were bought with a price by the blood of Jesus, you are connected to his church, you are part of his body and you belong to all the other members. You don't serve for your own good. You don't serve for your own enjoyment. You don't come to church in order to feast on your own buffet. But we walk through those doors each and every week with a dependence on each other with a sense that we belong to one another and we meet not just for our own good but for the good of those around us. And the more united we are in that service of one another, the greater our witness to the work of God's Spirit in our lives. The greater we will be able to say to the world that we belong to Jesus. Jesus says, I want them to be one in order that the world will know that they belong to me. And Jesus says that he wants us to be one. Why? John 17 verse 24. Father, I want, you, I, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Writer David Peterson says the point of Christian ministry and the Christian gathering is to prepare the saints to meet their Lord. We care for one another. We meet with one another. We belong to one another in order that we might see the glory of the Lord Jesus together and we might display to the world his amazing love that unites a weird and wonderful people together for all eternity. Christians down through the ages have expressed their unity, their fellowship with one another by saying the grace, the grace that finishes the book of 2 Corinthians. Turn over a few pages to the end of 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. And whenever we say the grace, we say this thinking about the other members of the body sitting around us. Let's say the grace together. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all evermore. 
Amen.